having a royal baby that is biracial is apparently a big deal for a nation that deals with issues with biracial identity. So says a columnist from over there. Plus, the California Senate passes a bill that would keep Trump off the ballot for 2020 unless he actually releases his tax returns. We'll see if that holds up. And the Red Sox visit the White House this week, but one noticeable person from the team wasn't coming. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but not quite as quickly as the stories that you said were the tops, because these were great stories, but not quite top 10 material. Although, spoiler alert, we've got some super stories that will come back to the Royals. It's, it was one of those weeks, so we have a lot of housekeeping to get to when we get to that part. But first, let's get to the actual stories, the top 10 stories per se you for the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne for the week ending May the 11th, 2019. And welcome to the show. I'm Jay Cleveland Payne, your host for The Wrap-Up Show from ThisIsTheConversation.com, that website that tries its best, tries gosh darn hard to get the best conversation with the best conversationalists around the world. One of those words is not actually a word, but we actually do what we can do every single week. What we try to do is present to you stories from around the world and various different sources that may not be getting the love they should be getting, well, at least we think should be getting, on the chirons in the news it's breaking all day long as the same story we post stories from different sources about every 50 minutes or so on our social media sites and we let you decide what's the most important conversations that should be had and we wrap them all up at the end of the week put them in a spreadsheet with facebook and twitter and we'll do some weighing averages whatever and we get you the top 10 stories of the week which we'll get to in just a moment in the second segment of this show we talk about the housekeeping segments that's if there's any sort of interesting weirdness that happened in the talent and tabulations for the top 10 maybe even beyond and there are some weird tabulations we did so we'll explain that in the second segment also we'll talk about the almost irrelevant story of the week it's the lowest ranking story of the week and normally it's usually one of the later ranking stories the later posted stories because it didn't get a lot of time to actually earn very much of a ranking this week we have a story that was uh basically follow along those lines something that was posted early today before we cut things off but it's an actual interesting story if you're a wwe wrestling fan or if you're a fan of politics because oddly enough they crossed the two in the third segment we call it rounding out the top 15 we take the last five stories that we looked at that weren't quite in range from 11 to 15 tell you where they were in standings and maybe tell you why or why not they didn't make the rankings and we have some interesting ones in there those are the ones you heard in the promos plus a few more to include why we're going to talk about the royal baby in the top 15 and also in the top 10 and spoiler alert it's also a super story the only super story this week and we'll explain what that is in the housekeeping as we said now how does all this work actually if you're new to the podcast, all of the tabulations, all the actual scores we get come from reaction on social media. I've already said that, but I hadn't told you how it happens. We, well, maybe I did. We, we put a story out on our feeds for Twitter and Facebook every 50 minutes, 24-7. So every 50 minutes, there's a new story out there to respond to. And whether you are into it or not into it, you let us know by literally responding to it. Like them, love them, share them, hate them, reply to me, reply to whoever you want to, to let us know how things work out for the best, or better in these cases, to the stories that need to get the most love here. And you do that by following us on Facebook at 
this is the conversation and on twitter at th underscore conversation we're also on instagram at this is a conversation as well those we post the roundups to the daily numbers on how things are going plus some new things we're hoping to do very soon and of course the main website where all of this chaos lives is at this is a conversation.com we've gone a little long today we've done some some changing we'll talk about that in the housekeeping as well so Let's get into the top 10 and get the real stories that you really want to know about because you want to know what it is that other people also dug on the week. The story for this week in the 10 spot has the headline of this. A Boeing 737 safely landed in a Jacksonville, Florida river. The story was posted on Saturday, May the 4th. Let's get you some details from it from the, the source we pulled it from, and that was Vox.com, reading a few lines from the actual story. A Boeing 737 with 143 people aboard slid off a runway into a shallow river in Jacksonville, Florida on Friday night as pilots attempted a landing in the middle of a thunderstorm. All 136 passengers and seven flight crew members on board are alive and accounted for, although 21 adults were transported to local hospitals with minor injuries, officials said. Officials did not immediately say what caused the plane to leave the runway and go into the St. John's River. The plane, a charter Boeing 737-800, was arriving from Naval Station Guantanamo Bay in Cuba to Naval Air Station Jacksonville at about 9.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when the incident occurred, a spokesman for the Florida Air Base said. Captain Michael P. Connor, the commanding officer at Naval Air Station Jacksonville, said at the news conference that, quote, the cause of the mishap has yet to be determined, unquote, and praised the skill of the first responders on the scene. And that's essentially where we're going to end on that. You want to see more information on the story and more updates. This version does not have an update. In fact, I don't think it actually came to a real conclusion on how the plane actually got out of control in the flight. Uh, But you can look it up online or go to our website, thisistheconversation.com, and click the link for this week's podcast, where we'll have the links to every single story we discuss in the podcast, 1 through 10, the almost relevant one, which oddly enough comes up as 16, and 11 through 15. You can see all the stories, links to the stories we posted, and find more information on all the stories at the website today. We posted 198 distinct stories this week, so there's a lot to choose from. And every week, there are always stories that pique my attention and my weird sense of humor that I call my own personal favorite stories. And I hope that they make it into the range where I can talk about them. And this week, I was not disappointed when this one made it in. It made it at the nine spot. It's a actually very serious, very uh, kind of kind of sad story but at the same time it's one of those stories that reminds you that there are people out there who are doing weird things for weird reasons and the payoff usually is not much greater payoff here's the headline for the story of the nine spot for this week after eating raw rodents kidneys for good health couple die of bubonic plague spark quarantine we pulled this from usa today this past week the story gets a bump in response, and that's how much more responsive you were to this story than the last story. A bump from the 9 to the 10 spot, which is why I got to be a 9 story, of 3.9%. We posted it on Tuesday, May the 7th, a few lines from USA Today's coverage of the actual story, which was a doozy. A Mongolian couple died from bubonic plague after eating raw marmot meat, sparking a quarantine that trapped tourists for days, officials said Monday. According to AFP, the couple died on May 1st in a remote area of the country's Beiyai-Ugli province, which borders China and Russia. A six-day quarantine of 118 people who had come in contact with the couple, including locals and a number of foreign tourists, had been lifted as of Tuesday. Arnonia Okupikex, which I totally butchered, a World Health Organization official told the BBC. Ultra Pervez... 
told BBC that the couple ate the rodents' raw meat and kidneys, which is believed to be good for health and in the area. Quote, I'm not going to say a name again. After quarantine was announced, not many people, even locals, were in the streets for fear of catching the disease. Bubonic plague can be transmitted via infected fleas and animals like prairie dogs, squirrels, rabbits, rats, and says U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So, um, this is a, I mean, this is one that, that I, I want to be, I guess I want to be sensitive of the actual content and because it is a culture thing that's going on here, but uh, there's a reason why God gave us fire and we cook our meat. And there's a reason why I like my stuff essentially burnt to a crisp uh, because of things like this. It's, that's a very, it's a very serious thing. But at the same time, it's one of those stories that make me scratch my head on how these things happen. And I am just oddly, because of my sense of humor, as I tell you, I'm oddly pleased to see that story make it in this week. You may may not feel quite the same, but apparently enough of you put it in there this week to feel more or less the same on this story as well. Let's move on to the state story this week. This one is a very sad one. The headline we have... Jalen McKenzie, eighth grade football phenom, shot and killed at party. CNN is the source for this story. Sunday, May the 5th was the day we posted it. It gets a bump response from the nine story of 1.88%. Let's read some lines from the story from CNN. Jalen McKenzie had plans of going to the NFL. The 14-year-old from Bellevue, Illinois, was an eighth grader who already had college offers from the University of Missouri and University of Illinois. He was featured in the future issue of Sports Illustrated in November 2018, along with five other teen sports stars. He wanted to be a pro star in California, playing for either the Los Angeles Rams or Chargers. Those dreams died late Saturday when Jalen was shot and killed at a party, his mother, Suka Gunner, told CNN. Around 11.40 p.m. Saturday night, Illinois State Police said in the release, numerous law enforcement agencies responded to reports of a disturbance and shots fired at a large party in Venice near the Illinois-Missouri Burr border. Jalen had been at the party when a fight broke out, Gunner said. Jalen walked outside to leave the party and a stray bullet hit him. He and a 15-year-old girl were taken to the hospital where Jalen died a short time after, police said. The girl was in critical condition, police said. East St. Louis School District 189, where Jalen was a student, confirmed that some of the students were shot at the party Saturday night. The school district 189 has learned that a few of our students were shot at a house party in Venice, Illinois, at some point Saturday night, a statement from the district read. Few details are clear at this point. We do know that our youth, families, and school staff have dealt with a number of tragedies and incidents of violence this year. We request space and time for them to appropriately grieve and come to terms with the latest impact of the violence. Stop by the website, thisistheconversation.com, and click on the podcast for this week and click the link for the story for further details. This version does not have an update on the story. As we said, he died a few hours later after being shot, but this is a very tragic story. I thought We say thoughts and prayers way too much, and it's something that I think we're getting kind of tired of hearing and saying, but we're definitely putting out thoughts and prayers to all the people involved in this thing, especially to uh, Jalen's family on this one, because not so much they're losing a potential star in the NFL, but someone lost a child this week, and we had plenty of incidents of that throughout the week of things that way, so these are times where we got to think about these things that happen and focus on the real important things. 
I'm glad the story popped out. I'm not glad for the outcome, but of course, I'm glad I get a chance to talk about something along these levels because these things need to be discussed. Unfortunately, we move on to more shooting. It seems to be the theme for the week, a, a running theme for the week here. This is a story that's in the number seven spot this week. Four people injured in East Baltimore shooting. We can pull this from the Baltimore Sun's website on Friday, May the 3rd. This gets a bump response, just a slight one from the number eight story of 0.46%. A few lines from this story. Four people were injured in a shooting in East Baltimore early Friday morning, police said, leaving a crime scene that stretched several blocks. Officers responded to the 2500 block of East Biddle Street around 2.30 a.m. for a shot spotter gunfire alert. They found two men and two women suffer from gunshot wounds at the scene, police said. A 36-year-old man was shot in both his legs. A 27-year-old woman was shot in her foot. A 22-year-old man was shot in his leg. And an 18-year-old woman was shot in her groin, according to police. The victims were transported to an area hospital for treatment. You can read deeper in this one in the story. So, like I said, there seems to be sort of a theme of shootings just in the news this week. We'll get to the, more of that in, in a bit. Uh, but this is one that of all the things that happened this week, this is one that, that was, it was early in the, early in, in our reign. So it caught up quickly and stuck around for the full time. But because there were so many other things, it seemed to be actual shooting fatigue, if you will. So some of the bigger stories that happened later on the week didn't get the attention that they did. We'll explain that. Trust me, we will explain that in just a bit. Let's move to the number six story for this week. The headline, the oldest paper in New Orleans just fired its entire staff. Vice.com let us know about this one, or at least this is the source we pulled it from exactly. We pulled it on Friday, made it third. The bump in response from the number seven story to the sixth story is 31.19%. From the Vice article on this one, one of the nation's last local newspaper wars is officially over. Owners of the New Orleans Advocate announced Thursday they had bought the Times Picune, ending a six-year battle for media turf in a cultural capital grappling with inequality and long-term fallout from Hurricane Katrina. In the end, the Upstart Advocate, a Baton Rouge-based organization that launched in its New Orleans edition in late 2012, overtook the 182-year-old Times Picune, which whittled its recent years away way under wayward ownership advanced publications. The purchase announced Thursday promised to create a unified daily newspaper and website publishing under both organizations' flags held in local hands. This is a trophy. John Georges, the New Orleans grocery wholesaler who now owns both publications, told Vice News, We've been competing with the Times Recune for the past six years, and we're very successful. But despite the success, there is overlap. So... If you've been following me and my journey for any length of time, you know that I work in broadcasting. I work in radio broadcasting, and I talk about when the stories pop out that affect me more or less, directly or indirectly, mostly indirectly. And this is a story that affects me indirectly because it's less media jobs, less news jobs, less news organizations out there. But it's also one that affects all of us, especially a place like New Orleans. The Times-Picune is a very, very historic, very deep-rooted newspaper for the area of New Orleans. And sometimes it's a matter of business where things don't work out. And the Times-Picune, of course, being owned by a larger company, had issues where sometimes the corporation doesn't quite honor what the local people really want. That's basically what happened here. The upstart that was born locally and only been around for a short period of time was able to make inroads where the locals were unhappy with how their old stay 
wasn't quite the old stay anymore. And now the two will be together as one, uh, giving the news, giving the information, giving the just giving the love to New Orleans and Southern Louisiana area. Uh, hopefully back to some semblance of normalcy there. Although they say they're running under two banners, that does still mean that there'll be overlapping people and some people will be losing some jobs there. So hopefully those folks will be able to absorb into something that's lucrative for them, even if it's not quite as creative as they are used to being. This next story obviously came as a shock when a young person uh, dies suddenly. It really does sort of catch your attention and makes you wonder about things and this story right here brought attention brought back to attention a cause that hadn't really gone away but essentially re-imaging the hypocrisy that is some of the people who have to happen to have power and in her case re-imaging the hypocrisy that was being touted and sold as gospel pun intended by christian conservatives the headline that we posted for this one is rachel held Progressive Christian author who challenged evangelicals dies at 37. Posted from the WashingtonPost.com, the religion session section on Saturday, May the 4th. This gets a bump response of 0.35% from the six stories. Here is a few lines from the story on Rachel Held Evans. And it starts off with Rachel Held Evans, an influential progressive Christian writer and speaker who cheerfully challenged America's evangelical culture, died on Saturday at a hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. Evans, 37, entered the hospital in mid-April with the flu and then had a severe allergic reaction to antibiotics, as she wrote on Twitter several weeks ago. According to her husband, Dan Evans, she then developed sustained seizures. Doctors put her in a medically induced coma, but some seizures returned when her medical team attempted to wean her from the medications that were maintaining her coma. Her condition worsened on Thursday morning, and her medical team discovered severe swelling of her brain. She died early Saturday morning. Please go to the website. Please go to thisisaconversation.com and click on the link for this week's story and read more of the story and read more of her and search for her if you like, if you've forgotten what she did. She is the um, the upstart, if you will. We're talking a lot about upstart, but she challenged a lot of the evangelical establishment talk when she started her blog years ago and just basically by speaking her truth, which happens to be more true than what some of the uh, Bible literalism that people were using to put other people down. Essentially, people using the Bible and its words to prop up people like Donald Trump and then and push down people who were progressive in a way that was making progress as opposed to progressive as in just straying away from the church. So you can see more about her life and all the things going on. There's still plenty of tributes being written about her right now. But go check out the website and click the link to read more of the story for Rachel Held Evans. Let's keep things moving. We're working on brevity in the podcast, so try and get things quicker moving, if you will, which also isn't grammatically correct. We're moving on to the story we have in the number four spot today. And that story reads like this, or the headline is such reads like this. Police are arresting protesters who locked down Carlin Hall on May 1st as part of a protest against a private campus police force and university ICE contracts. 
That says a lot. That story was posted on Wednesday, May the 8th. A bump response from the number five story of 27.18%. So this is something that everybody was really into when it came down because it probably looked like it was going to be something bigger than it was. It was from the Baltimore Sun where we got the source of the story. Let's read some more stuff from the Baltimore Sun. A month-long sit-in at the John Hopkins University Main Administration Building, which escalated last week when students locked down Garland Hall, came to an early end Wednesday when the rest of seven protesters. Hopkins students and other activists had staged a sit-in since April 3rd, and they locked down the building May 1st, chaining doors shut, covering windows, and forcing the administration building to close during its final week of the university's spring semester. The lockdown prompted the university to suspend or relocate services such as financial aid, disability, academic advising, and student visas, officials said. The group demanded that the university cancel its plans, recently approved by the Maryland General Assembly, to create a private university police force and its contracts with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, that's ICE, an advocate for more forcefully against police, an, av- an advocate more forcefully against police brutality. Here's a quote from one of the actual protesters. This is an effort to protect black, brown, queer, and all marginalized people who Hopkins is actively endangering. That from um, Turquoise Baker. That's her name. Firefighters cut the chains from the doors, and Baltimore Police Major Rich Gibson, who oversees the Northern District, addressed the protesters as they chanted, No justice, no peace, no private police, no justice, no peace, no ice in our streets. And you can see video from the Facebook uh, postings and things going on by going to our website and clicking the link for this story. It gets really deep and really kind of detailed in what was going on. The main thing that caught my attention, oddly enough, is I have a goddaughter who wants to go to John Hopkins, John Hopkins next year. She is preparing to, to go to school there next year because she wants to be a doctor, wants to go through that, that, that university. So that's what caught my attention. Not that she's necessarily the protesting type, but this is something that she'd probably, um, she would probably have been a little part of. So that really caught my attention. You can see more details on how deep this went because obviously it wasn't a large national thing along the lines of any sort and definitely didn't get much attention until the actual ending of the protests this week. Moving on to our only super story of this week. It's a super story because we combine two headlines and two stories and their stats to keep them from being doubled up in the actual numbers. And these are two stories that were high enough that both of these stories were top 10 material. So there, it didn't push anybody necessarily out of the way. In fact, it let somebody else in to the actual respondents. But it was one of the bigger stories on the world stage, literally, as people have been waiting for months, nine or so of them, to see the outcome on this one. The headline we are going to showcase is the first headline of the story, which is Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle gives birth to boy. Uh, the other headline and numbers attached to this is the fact that they gave the first public appearance of the baby. But the, the birth date, the birthday, was Monday, May the 6th, the day we posted it. And this gets a bumpy response from the number four story of 23.56%. We'll read you a little bit from where we pulled this one from because they're British. We went ahead and pulled it from the BBC. The Duchess of Sussex has given birth to a boy, the Dutch, the Duke of Sussex announced. The beaming Prince Harry said they were absolutely thrilled and thanked the public for their support. He said Meghan and the babe were doing incredibly well, 
adding that they were still thinking about names for the infant who was delivered at 526 BST. Buckingham Palace said the baby weighed 7 pounds 3 ounces, which is 3.2 kilograms, and that the Duke was present for the birth. The baby boy is the seventh in the line of the throne behind the Prince of Wales, Duke of Cambridge and his children, Prince George, Princess Catherine, and Prince Louis, and of course, Prince Harry. He is the Queen's eighth great-grandchild. We'll go much deeper into the story, how it's a super story and why it's a super story, but essentially uh, we wanted to make sure that we got as many stories in there and room for diverse stories as possible, and the story on the baby being born and the baby being shown were more or less in range to be the same thing. We did not post an update on the same day that they showed the baby of the baby's name, which, by the way, is Archie Harrison. Um, blah, 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 whales of whatever they are. Uh, Archie, because they like the name Archie, although it is actually a fairly popular name in the uh, in the UK, but they like Archie and being the, the eighth in line to get the throne, he probably won't be a royal, so they didn't worry about that. And Harry's son, because he's Harry's son. There you go. Uh, we'll talk more about this and the spoiler alert that we have another story that didn't quite make it in the range, and that's actually maybe an even more impactful story, but we'll get to that when we round out the top 15. Moving on to the number two story of the week, and this is one that had social media abuzz fairly quickly for a myriad of reasons. Number one, it's a popular TV show that everybody's buzzing about as it's about to wrap itself up. And number two, the big complaint was it took two years to get the season out, maybe that long to get a long time to get this episode out. And they missed one minor detail that wasn't so minor that pretty much everyone picked up on it as soon as they watched the Apple actual episode. And that headline is Game of Thrones accidentally left a Starbucks cup in last night's episode. You've probably heard about that one. Bump in response of 26.83%. This was the top Facebook story for the week. Uh, and uh, it was a doozy. A few lines from the source we pulled it from, because it was everywhere, we pulled it from Esquire Magazine's coverage. And it's one of those things where pop culture things aren't just the mainstay of the big-time news people, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, ABC, NBC, those folks. This is where the kind of sideline places, the, the, the magazines that were mostly fashion and fluff, can be a good source of actual news. Now, whether this is actual news or not, your mileage may vary, but here's the story per Esquire on the mishap. Game of Thrones has always had lavish production costs. Early seasons were made at a budget of around $6 million per episode, and the six episodes of the final season each cost around $15 million, but one of the most expensive television shows of all time fell victim to a $2 disruptor Sunday night, a Starbucks cup. Fans noticed a disposable white and green coffee cup was sitting on a table during one of the celebratory post-battle Winterfell celebration scenes in episode 4. And it wasn't during just any part of the celebration. The set slip-up happened to take place at one of the story's most crucial moments as Darren's Targaryen watched Tormund toast Jon Snow and realized that her nephew's popularity, combined with his legitimate claim to be the Iron Throne, posed a true threat to her power. The freaking Starbucks cup with a little cardboard holster was sitting right there in front of her. That's from the story, of course. The first Starbucks opened in 1971 in Pike's Place Market in Seattle, and Thrones is, of course, set in the fictional Westeros during approximately medieval times. So it's unlikely Danny stopped by a Starbucks drive-thru on one of her dragons and wrote to the celebration. 
any production will have its share of human error, and this isn't the first avoidable but understandable mistake for Game of Thrones. Remember, for example, the moment John attempted to save Rickon at the beginning of Season 6, Battle of the Bastards, and his Valorant steel sword wobbled in a suspiciously rubbery way. But this one felt particularly egregious in the context of general flaws and weirdly placed episodes. All the criticisms of episode eight, uh, Season 8, its tendency to indulge in lazy writing, fan service, and plot armor were embodied by this one cup. And of course, social media jumped on the gaff. And oddly enough, there was a suspicion that it was product placement. That it was supposed to be a subtle hint to uh, the Starbucks and maybe be a, a subliminal motion to go get your latte. That's what some people theoried. But in the end, and this is Jay talking, it was just a simple, really, really dumb mistake. We'll see how costly it is because they were able to, di- to digitally take out the the, the, cup, the cup because we can do that now with CGI. They could turn it into a horn, a mug of ale or something. I don't know. But they were able to take the cup out of the actual images so that future airings of this will no longer have Starbucks in the scene. However, many people have already DVR'd it and people have screenshotted it and of course the memes. Oh, the memes. Plenty of memes go around for this mistake. And finally, we are reached the top story of the week, per said you. You told us, me, all the folks that helped me do this thing, and me taking all the credit for doing all the poorly reading, the story that was the most important story for you this week, based on the seven, half, eight-day range of Friday to Friday for the stories. Now, let's get you some of the actual stats for the story. If we'll tell you how the story ran set-wise for the numbers. It was the top Twitter story of the week. It had a bump in response of 12.76% from the number 2 story. It has a bump response from the number 10 story. That story happened to be the Boeing 737 crash into the river in Jacksonville. 214% and from the 196 story, I got the number wrong, 196 story of the week, the almost relevant story for this week, 16,025%. And I guess that's how it's straight up even. 16,16025. So the headline is, Phillies to honor Jimmy Rollins' retirement with Replica 2008 World Series ring for fans. We got this from Philadelphia's local CBS affiliate and their website. And trust me, apparently we had a whole bunch of Philly fans into this one, or maybe the bots in Philly were going crazy for this one. Let's get you some lines from that story because... People were all up about this one. All-star shortstop Jimmy Rollins will retire as a Philly on Saturday. 2007 National League MVP will be honored during pregame ceremony at Citizens Bank Park ahead of the Phillies taking on the Washington Nationals. Those in attendance will get their chance to take home a piece of Phillies history. To celebrate the amazing career of J-Roll, fans 15 and older will receive a replica of the 2008 World Series Championship ring. During the 15 seasons Rollins spent in Philadelphia, he led the Phillies to five consecutive division titles, two National League pennants, and of course, a 2018 World Series title. He is also the franchise's all-time hits leader with 2,306, as well as a three-time All-Star and four-time Gold Gloves Award winner. So congratulations to Jimmy Rollins for doing all he did uh, in his 
in, in his career and for the Phillies. Congratulations to the Philly fans who scarfed themselves up of ring for the occasion. And congratulations for you for suffering through 30 minutes of this. We're glad that you join us for this. And, of course, we need you to listen to the podcast, be a part of the show, and make the show. Because, as we said earlier... It's not made unless you give us responses to our social media. So, along with following what's going on at thisistheconversation.com, the main website, follow us on social media. On Instagram, we are This Is The Conversation. On Facebook, This Is The Conversation. On Twitter, TH underscore conversation. Find us there. And as you follow us on Twitter and Facebook every day, every 50 minutes, all day long, we are posting news stories from different sources. Some serious, some silly, some we can't even believe ourselves, but we see if you want to believe it yourselves. And you let us know which stories are most worthy of conversation by just responding to us. That's the way we have a conversation via the online way there. So that's how it works. Follow those websites, follow those so, those social media sites, and you can chance to see all day long and vote all day long on the top stories of the week. And in a sense, also the bottom story of the week. And we'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Plus, we'll do the housekeeping. We'll explain how we had technically three, although posted two stories of the royal family and the royal baby posting this week in the countdown. One we won't even talk about yet, which is sort of weird. Uh, but that's coming up in the housekeeping segment in just a bit here on The Wrap-Up Show. With me, Jay Cleveland Payne from This Is a Conversation.com. This is the show for the week ending May the 11th. 2019. Why do we put so much spotlight on Cloud9 Living as one of our most favorite and longtime sponsors for this podcast? Because they're one of my most favorite services that I've used from attached to this podcast. Cloud9 Living has saved my life, or more importantly, saved the life of my marriage for giving us the chance to have great experiences and giving us a chance to have great experiences not near each other. Because my wife likes these really, really fun, really, really exciting, really, really dangerous stuff. And I don't. So we gave her the gift uh, about a year ago of going to drive fast cars on a racetrack. And while she was driving fast cars on a racetrack, myself and my daughter were at a museum doing something nice and quiet. Because, well, you can't really take a six-year-old in a a fast car. That's not really very, very, very responsible. My wife could be as irresponsible as she wanted to be, driving fast cars around a track as fast as she wanted, as many times as she wanted, thanks to a package provided by Cloud9 Living. Now, if you want to do something a little less crazy and want to do it with your actual friend or partner, that's great as well. They have plenty of experiences available and plenty of places available. So if it's a place you want to see, then they probably have experience there for you. If it's an experience that you want, it's probably in a place that's nearby to get to. Cloud9 Living's been doing this for quite some time. And like I said, they take care of my family very well in the process. So I'm saying that you should be taken care of by Cloud9 as well. And we have a great deal if you use the link via our website to get to them. And the biggest thing is you can buy a gift certificate or buy a package the price never expires. You never lose any value, and you can transfer it as many times as you need to, guaranteed. 
go to the website this is a conversation.com slash cloud nine that's the numeral nine of course this is a conversation.com slash cloud nine for a great deal for this very special sponsor we we enjoy we want you to check out and enjoy all the sponsors that we have that help us out to keep this thing going but we tell you i i i no lie no joke i'm very excited always excited when we get the chance to show highlights for this one cloud nine living We're going to start off with the housekeeping for the segment. We normally do start off with housekeeping and then go to the almost relevant story, which is 196. I think it's a fun one, so we'll get to that in a minute. But there was a lot of big, super overly hyped deal this week about one baby. That baby being the baby of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, or the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Now, we posted three links this week for these stories. We posted the original birth of the baby that happened on Monday, May the 6th. We posted two on the day the baby was born. And there was for specific three when we found the baby's name, but we decided not to. We thought that was too much. And after everything was crunched and whatever, we don't really know where things line up until we do the full range of crunching all the numbers for the full weeks to stack to stack. And that's where we got the two stories that we put together, which is Duchess having the baby and the first public glimpse. Now, the first public glimpse story was preceded by a story on the royal baby being a big deal for the nation that has issues with biracial identity. And we will talk about that coming up in segment three because it was in the range, but not quite there. It is number 11. There's your spoiler alert for the first story in that range. Uh, We'll talk about that in full detail. But that one also along with the first public glimpse two days after the birth on Monday happening on Wednesday. So we turned those three stories into two stories and essentially there's only one shift of the whole thing for anything to make a difference one shift in space in fact the story with the uh the highest part of the story which was the which was actually the first showing of the baby first glimpse came in around five or six and then the actual birth was a couple spots behind that all it did was basically make a spot for an extra spot in the 15 and we'll get to that when we get to the top 15 right now let's talk about the almost relevant story which is number 196 this week i can't count very well so it's been a a bone of contention on that one today and the headline for that one is mayor kane dons wwe mask choke slams man through table during symposium I'm going to read, it's a very short story, so I'm just going to read the story. It's, if it's a, we'll, we'll, we'll talk details in a second. Let me read the story straight up. Knox County Mayor Glenn Jacobs busted out the iconic mask and signature move of his WWE character Kane during an event this week. Jacobs, a Republican who was elected as mayor of the Tennessee County in 2018, delivered the opening remarks at the National Association of Sports Commission Symposium at the Knoxville Convention Center Tuesday, according to the Knoxville News Sentinel. As Jacobs welcomed the crowd and spoke about Knox County, he was interrupted by a man dressed as an events staffer. You know who I am, right? Jacobs said as the man tried to get him off stage. Yeah, I'm the mayor, but that's not all. Suddenly, the lights turned red and Kane's WWE theme music began playing. Kane D- Jacobs donned his Kane mask and proceeded to choke slam the man through a nearby table. So as I was saying, Jacobs said to conclude his humorous skit, Welcome to Knox County. I hope you have a wonderful time. I expect to see you back here very soon or else. 
Jacobs made his last appearance in 2018, November of, from WWE, losing a tag team match alongside his storyline brother, that being The Undertaker, to Degeneration X. So, in a video he published in April, he said he would not rule out a return to the squared circle. Although, from what I hear, not that I actually know Mr. Jacobs, he's enjoying himself as the minor politician in the county in Tennessee and doing a fairly good job from what I can tell from all reports. Now, this is a cool story. This is a funny story. And this is one of the stories that, oddly enough, did not be did not turn into something that's really kind of important that just got missed because of its placement. Its low standing placement is based on when it was published, and we published it a few hours before we cut off the number crunching for today's recording. The recording is for Saturday the 11th, and of course we record this the day before on Friday the 10th. So because it was published earlier this morning, it didn't have a lot of time to generate much, much interest. And because of the cutoff date, it probably won't make a chance, even if it does gen up enough interest, to be within the seven and a half day window for next week so this is all the response and all the love we give to Kane one of my favorite WWE characters in all of his weird sort of um, machinations including back to time where he actually debuted on the WWE that being Jacobs as the deranged dentist of the King Jerry Lawler so because I love me some Jerry I even love me some, some Dr. Isaac Yankum if you remember it from way back when Coming up, we don't go back too far. We go essentially uh, back to a story we already talked about just mere moments ago to talk about it for the actual first time. And that is the first story in what we call rotting out the top 15. The top 10 were already done, and we'll talk about the ones that weren't quite strong enough to get into the tops and maybe why. Plus, we'll have some shout-outs and a special announcement coming up in the next segment here on The Wrap-Up Show with Jay Cleveland Payne. That's me here for the week ending May the 11th, 2019. These guys are so nice to me. I'm going to promote them twice because they are that awesome and they do a lot of great things. And they're like machines in getting the content out, and the work it does to get them out are amazing. Number one, Chuck, my good friend Chuck, who was actually a, a guest on this podcast about a year ago, essentially, when we interviewed him, um, has three total podcasts. He actually has one that he does with two other hosts called History Dweebs, and you should check that one out if you're into uh, really, really, really dark humor and really, really strange tr- true crime and really, really dark humor. But the two that Chuck does with my friend Karen, which is the amazing ones as they are, are called Spy Stories, a brand new one they've started publishing, and Context and Clarity, which I talked about last week. Formerly, that was Rants and Reasons, because they realized there was less ranting and a whole lot less reason. They turned into something a little bit different, trying to put a positive spin on the way our politics of the world and the history of politics are covered here right here in the states and so check out those podcasts uh context and clarity actually has its own website contextandclarity.org but spy sports stories does not they're both produced via podbean but they're pretty much anywhere your pods are found so if you're a podbean fan or just want to search online search for spy stories podcast it'll take you straight to podbean and some other places along with context and clarity podcast karen is one of the best researchers around and so you'll see that from all the deep and heavy, heavy detail into this. It's not just two people yik-yakking, talking back and forth, and telling fart jokes, although 
History Dweebs is kind of like that. But these two give you a lot of context, a lot of clarity, a lot of index, and a whole lot of history into what's going on. Learn about the true nature of some of the spies you may not have heard about in the big history books and the sometimes surreal nature of how our politics is supposed to work as despite how it actually does. Check out both podcasts by both my good friends, Karen and Chuck. Look for Spy Stories Podcast. Search for it online. You'll find it there. Or look for Context and Clarity Podcast. The easy way to get to it is going to contextandclarity.org. It is the time of the week where we do the shout-outs to people who gave us Shout out some special love inside of social media while replying, reacting, doing what they did to the stories inside the week. Of course, this doesn't happen without you. So to get your input in for the show and maybe get a shout out, go to Twitter or Facebook. On Facebook, look for us at This Is A Conversation. On Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation. Let's start off the applause or the shout outs. I hadn't done that in a while. Uh, this week with the ones on the Twitter. Starting off with um, I Am The King, also Sportsaurus. We have also popping in Sarah Gaither, Happy Clinger. Hi, Happy Clinger. Stand by Humanity. We will do our best to do that. It's Okay Today. And also Cyber News. Some people that responded inside of Facebook with actual names, because that's how it works. Elena Gastilia, thank you so much for joining us. Rebecca Davis, Ruth Ann Miller, one of our usual suspects in every week. Clarence E. Springer, one of those as well. Also responses from Justin E. Giddy, uh, from Adele Carnes, and we're getting some love as well from Jeffrey Carr. As we said, we're working on brevity for the podcast, so we're going to brevely not really how you're supposed to say it, go on to rounding out the top 15, at least getting into it as quickly as we can. We'll see how quickly we get done. And the story we've been teasing all morning, all afternoon, all evening, all whenever you're listening to this, is the headline of the royal baby is a big deal for a nation with issues of biracial identity. This one posted on the, well, through our site and posted on Wednesday, March, May the 8th, as a, not quite rebuttal, but a commentary on the birth of the new royal baby, uh, baby Archibald, who is eighth in line for the throne, so pretty much has very little chance of getting it, but at some point we will see how that works out. So the story, as it is written, and it comes from Vox.com. We got a lot of stuff off of Vox this week. It was a, here's the headline that they actually had in the actual title of the of the response, the piece. I study biracial identity in America. Here's why the royal baby is a big deal. And the subtitle is, Biracial representation is sorely needed in a country with a fragile relationship with mixed-race people. I'm not going to go into this right now, because I've talked so much about Meghan Markle and the baby that it's kind of crazy. But I'm going to let you go to our website, thisisaconversation.com, and click on the link for this inside of this week's uh, inside this week's podcast we have links to all the stories inside this week's podcast and it's a big deal both here and over there in fact it's such a kind of weird big deal remember when Meghan markle married prince harry and people here on this side of the pond was like we got us a princess although we didn't really get us a princess this part of what this whole big kerfuffle is all about so instead of me going into it Check it out for yourself and have your own personal kerfuffle in your head on this story. This is a story that um that's much bigger than than it probably needs to be, and much bigger than initially it seems like. But 
check it out and there's the big re and that's the big reason why we did not include it inside of the the super story because it really needs its own life and it's it's getting enough attention as it is so now it can get its own attention without being a problem about being essentially about the baby it's about the issue let's move on to the number 12 story this week the headline we had was maryland helicopter crash two men missing in chesapeake bay saturday may the 4th was the day we posted this story cnn is the source for it here are some lines from the updated story with a new title of two bodies are recovered after a helicopter crash in maryland the bodies of two men were recovered after their helicopter crash in Maryland, police said. The helicopter went down Saturday in Chesapeake Bay, Maryland. Authorities identified the victims as Maryland residents Charles Knight, 38, of Mount Airy, and Mark Matt Clark, 36, of Pasadena. Knight was the pilot. Clark was a passenger, police said. The two went missing Saturday when the helicopter crashed around 12.30 p.m., about a mile south of Kent Island, Maryland police said. Authorities found the wreckage in about 55 feet of water Saturday evening. The cause of the crash is unknown. Natural News Source's police investigators will be working with the National Transportation Safety Board and Federal Aviation Administration to recover the wreckage. So we will learn more about that one, I guess, in the coming weeks. This is one that did flash up on as a breaking news or as an informational news thing on the actual news in the day. So it's something that made real headlines, for lack of better terms. But this is not one that we don't have much more information on to go to here. But it was enough to get in as the number 12 story for this week as something that you folks wanted to know more about. Hopefully we'll know more about it very, very soon. We'll get some real answers to what happened. Move on to number 13. This one was posted on Friday, May the 3rd, so this one lasted quite a bit of time, but not quite enough to make it into the range of the top 10. The headline, California Senate passes bill that would keep Trump off 2020 ballot unless he releases his tax returns. The Hill is the source of this one. The California State Senate on Thursday approved a bill to require candidates appearing on the presidential primary ballot, including President Trump, to release five years' worth of income tax returns. The measure was approved in a 27-10 vote, according to the Associated Press. California, for the first time, will be one of the first states to hold its presidential primary on the 2020 cycle. The bill is a response to Trump's insistence that he will not release his tax returns, as presidential candidates traditionally have done, claiming he is under audit. If the bill becomes law and Trump does not release his tax returns, he may not appear on the California ballot, primary ballot at least. We believe that President Trump if he truly doesn't have anything to hide, should step up and release his tax returns, said State Senator Mike McGurk, who's a Democrat, who co-authorized the bill, according to AP. All 10 Republicans in the state Senate voted against the bill's package, as you would expect. So we'll see how this one plays along. We'll see. I'm not sure this is really going to stand, but we will see exactly. Remember, states do get a chance to uh, lay claim to how they want their ballots to work for primaries, how they want things to look for primaries and the general elections as well, uh, but how they want things to work out. So the state has a right to say this. We'll see if the state has a right to actually enforce it coming down the line. Number 14 story this week is an interesting one because it falls along the hills of a couple of stories we had in the last couple of weeks and pretty much since the Trump presidency on sports teams who win their championships and then go or some don't go to the White House for the traditional hanging out with the president. Headline on this one is Red Sox manager passes on White House visit posted uh, oddly enough from Rolling Stone in their politics section, and we posted on Sunday, May the 5th. 
we're going to read you a couple of lines from this one and let you go, have everyone go with that one. President Donald Trump always touts how much he loves winners, but there is a growing proof that a lot of that love may be unrequited. The manager of the Boston Red Sox, Alex Cora, announced that he will not attend a White House celebration in 2018's World Series Championship this coming week. Cora, in a statement to El Nuevo Dia, made it official what, according to ESPN, he had indicated back in January when he first voiced concerns about the Trump administration's relief policies to Hurricane Maria that hit Puerto Rico in 2017. This is from the actual statement. Puerto Rico is very important to me, Cora said. During the winter, I spent a lot of time back home visiting my family and friends. Unfortunately, they are still struggling, still fighting. Some people still lack basic necessities. Others remain without electricity, and many homes and schools are in pretty bad shape almost a year and a half after Hurricane Maria struck. Now, this thing did happen, and Cora did not attend. As expected, you can take with that whatever you will. But there's been a whole there's, an, there's been a whole lot of weirdness going on inside the White House, literally, with meetings and press conferences things going on. There's so much that you, we could have covered. This was a story that was important enough to keep in the eyes of you guys listening, but not quite important enough to be in the top ten. So I think this is one that does require a lot more study. So if this is something that, that you tend to fall into line, something that's interesting, make sure you stop by our website, thisistheconversation.com, and click on the link for this week's podcast. All the links to all 16 stories we showcase, these five, the almost irrelevant story, and of course, the top 10 will be there for you to click on and check out and go further detail. And now, because of the one super story, we had a chance to shift in one more story into today's reporting and that story is in the 15th spot the headline for this one is one that is extremely tragic and we'll talk a bit about this one after i read some lines from it but at least seven people injured two suspects in custody after shooting at colorado school this was posted on tuesday may the 7th essentially as it was going on this of course was updated to colorado stem school shooting one dead eight injured two in custody this was from the NBC News site, and this is something that's been ongoing for quite some time. As we already said, as it happened, we posted it day as it happened on the 7th. The update we're reading from was last updated on the, let's see what it says, last updated on the 8th. So the story's still fairly fresh, but you've been able to see plenty of reaction from this story. I'm going to read you some lines from the updated story as it is right now. One person died after two suspected shooting student shooters opened fire at a STEM school in the Denver suburb of Highland Ranch. Eight others were injured and both suspects are in custody, officials said. Douglas County Sheriff's Office said it responded to the STEM school Highlands Ranch just before 2 p.m. Tuesday when a school administrator called dispatch to report shots fired. Authorities believe the suspects used a handgun. Two individuals walked into a STEM school, got deep inside the school, and engaged students in two separate locations, Douglas County Sheriff Tody Spurlock said. The sheriff's deputy confirmed that one student, 18-year-old male, was killed in the shooting. The father of Kendrick Castillo told NBC News that his son was the student killed, but the family declined to be interviewed Tuesday night. An adult suspect was identified by Douglas County Sheriff's Office on Tuesday night as Devin Erickson, 18. Authorities identified a second suspect as a juvenile female, but a public defender clarified that juvenile prefers to use male pronouns. NBC News has not identified the underage suspect who has not yet been charged. You've seen the story, so you can go deeper by checking out the link at the website. But point number one was the fact that the students that were, or the young people that were the assailants here, was the 18-year-old male and 
who police believe for hours was a second juvenile male. Someone, I think the age, well, juvenile, probably around 16 or so. And they identified it as a male. I said it, him as a male, until they identified her as a female and then found out that she prefers to use male pronouns. That makes it confusing along so many lines, but that's uh, just one just sort of semblance of the sign of the times. Also, uh, thoughts and prayers, we say it too many times, to Kendrick Castillo and his family who are dealing with this issue. I've seen um, the family there on a few interviews talking about the fact that their son was someone who would do this. This is something they did not, was not surprising that he would go go towards danger to save his, his friends. And another interview with a mother who said because of Kendrick's heroism and brave bravery, his her daughter is he is there. She, she basically her daughter could have died in the main shooting, and he was there to stop that. On top of this, the, the school itself is only seven miles away from Columbine, which doesn't necessarily mean anything because it could have been any school anywhere. But they put up a staggering number of the amount of school shootings this year. And I don't have that number in this story here, so I can't repeat it from directly here. But the number of school shootings, which is over 200 shootings in a calendar year that isn't quite over and didn't include any universities or colleges. There is a rash of these things happening and we cannot we cannot pretend like it's not happening. There is a problem. I do not know a solution or I'd be doing much wiser things than having a podcast, but there is a problem out there that needs to be fixed. If we need to have real discussions on mental illness, that's something that's real, you know, important to me because I deal with that personally as well. We need to have discussions with gun ownership. We need to have discussions with kids just not getting it because they're kids. We need to have some sort of discussions. We need to do it now. I wish I was the man to lead that charge, I'm nowhere near smart enough or near or have enough clout to pull in the right people for that one. But when this thing starts happening, when they start talking about this, trust me, we will talk about it here. That brings into the countdown for this week, the full countdown going from one to one ninety six, essentially, but skipping between sixteen to one ninety five and letting you guys know what stories you believe were the tops. The quick announcement, essentially, we're doing some uh, some retooling with some of the some of the projects and some of the, the company issues I have going on the scene. So you'll start seeing more cooperations with the more better media brand, which I have with different types of podcasts and different types of media coming very soon. You'll hear and see and get a chance to interact with many more things there. So look out for that. Also, look out for great things from our friends Chuck and I said Chuck and Nancy, Chuck and Karen, who produced the Spy Stories podcast and Context and Clarity. And of course, make sure you take a look at all our sponsors because that's how we keep this thing going. But give a little special love this week or anytime you feel like it because we love these guys at Cloud Nine. So check all those out as well and make sure you are a part of what we have going on. Now, listening to the podcast is awesome and that is great, but we need one more listener. So the best way to make that happen is to share the podcast with friends, with enemies, with random strangers. In fact, find a random stranger right now. Stop what you're doing. Go out into the streets. Find a person who you do not know. Take their phone out of their hand. Pull out their uh, their app for whatever podcasting you want. Or give them the app. Give them what app you love. Because it's all about you sharing with them. Share the love of the app and then subscribe them to this podcast. Then hand them their phone and then keep on going. Find more random strangers and do that. They will shout very, very many epithets of love and affection to you as you walk away. 
In the meantime, make sure you're subscribed as well so you don't miss out on the podcast. And if you aren't checking us out on social media, that you aren't in on the voting. You're not in on all the real action. On Instagram, this is The Conversation. On Facebook, this is The Conversation. On Twitter, TH underscore conversation. And as you interact with us on Facebook and Twitter, you vote for what stories you like. So interact by liking, loving, hating, sharing, however you want to do it. The more engagement a post gets, the higher score it gets. At the end of the day, we weigh the Twitter and the Facebook together, and we let you know which ones were the top ones you cared about this week. More to come next week. We will do our best to push this thing out continually because we want to have the best conversation list. Not a real word. We say it all the time. To have the best conversations and get past what's stuck in the chirons all day long here, at least on the cable news stations I watch here in the States. I am Jay Cleveland Payne. Once again, thanking you for being a part of the whole shebang. We love you guys. We can't do it without you guys. So keep doing it with us so we can keep doing it with you. This is the wrap-up show, and we're glad to have you with us here. Brought to you by thisisaconversation.com.